All right, if you've got your Bibles, then you can go ahead and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab the Bible in front of you. It says the story on top of it. Uh, Ecclesiastes is page 448 in that Bible. If you've got your Bible and you're wondering where it is, if you'll kind of turn somewhere near the middle, you'll hit hopefully there's Psalms or Proverbs most likely, and just kind of turn to your right a little bit. It's right after Proverbs. And so this is a unique book and a fun book to do, but before we get into it, I'd like to read kind of our central text for the morning. So as you find it, if you will stand one more time in the honor of the reading of God's Word, we're going to read the first 14 verses, although I'm not going to preach all 14 this morning. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be remember any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out wisdom, all that is done under, uh, out by wisdom, all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Lord, speak to us this morning out of your word, and let us hear clearly what you would have for us to say. Speak louder than me. Let us seek you as our true shepherd. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, Ecclesiastes is a difficult book to get a good grasp on. Um, it's kind of it's dark, it's kind of gritty, it's kind of um, uh, maybe a little too honest, um, maybe a little too transparent about the brokenness of the world and all the things that that don't go right in the world. And if we're not careful, uh, it, can, it can be very difficult to read and, and leave in an okay mood. And so I promise you, I'm going to fast forward a little bit today so that no one leaves here and ends up on the news. Um, so I'm going to cheat a little bit today. Um, but before I do, I think, I think we gotta, we got to wrestle with the messiness of it a little bit, right? You know, it's to me, I'm a huge fan of C.S. Lewis. He's one of my favorite authors. I love the way that C.S. Lewis writes. I love the way that he thinks. When I read his stuff, I'm, just, I'm constantly going, oh my goodness, it's incredible. What a way to say that, right? And he's got some books out there that are super well known. Uh, you may know him for his newest movies, The Chronicles of Narnia. All right, hope he keeps writing those. Um, he's long been dead. That was a joke, but... Um, 
But he did write the Chronicles of Narnia. He also wrote Mere Christianity. He wrote, uh, uh, somebody picked up this morning, screw tape letters out of our library out here. We don't have all the signs up yet, but you'll see in the hallway a little library out here. We're calling it Pastor's Picks. I'm just putting some books out there that I think it'd be good if you read them. Uh, and so here's my policy. We're just going to go honesty here, all right? And I know that that's not a good policy usually, but we're just going to go with, hey, if you want to borrow one of those books and read it, then just grab it and take it home and read it. I would ask that you bring it back. If you don't, that's between you and the Lord. We posted the Ten Commandments in the beginning, so if you want to go against that, that's on you. Um, but somebody picked up screw tape letters out of there today, which is another great C.S. Lewis read. Uh, fun, fascinating thing to read. But he wrote one that was so dark and so gritty that he actually initially didn't publish it under his own name. Um, called A Grief Observed. And it was after his wife died. After his wife died, he wrote this book, A Grief Observed, and it was just so gritty, so difficult, so honest. Um, he didn't want people to know that he wrote it initially, and so he published it under a different name, and eventually it came out that he wrote it, and, and people thought, man, this is not the C.S. Lewis I know. I mean, he's not hopeful here. He's not pointing me to hope. He's just... But that was how he processed losing his wife. I want to tell you, sometimes we're going to hit things in life, and there's not a good, pretty answer, right? If you've ever been through a deep moment of grief, don't you hate it when people go, well, you know, God has a plan. Well, I know he does. I just think it's a dumb plan right now. I don't, I don't like his plan. I don't like the way things are going. This is not how it should play out. This is kind of what Ecclesiastes is about. Because there are a lot of unanswered questions in this life. There's just a lot of, a lot of times as a pastor, people come to me with questions and they hope I have the answer. And a lot of times I don't. A lot of times I don't have an answer. And that's kind of, this book is a book of unanswered questions. My main idea for today... And we're just going to kind of introduce Ecclesiastes. We're not going to go very far in the text itself, but just kind of introduce, we're going to go really deep in it. Amidst the futility of the unanswered questions of life, one shepherd leads us to fulfillment. Um, the title of this series will be nine weeks we'll spend in Ecclesiastes, and uh, most of our small groups will be moving, not today, but next Sunday, into a study of Ecclesiastes, so that we can go even deeper, so that even beyond what you get here uh, from the pulpit, you'll be able to go into a small group and you'll be able to study Ecclesiastes uh, in discussion a little further. There's some questions I want us to answer. Not all the questions are unanswerable, but some of them are. We're going to attempt to answer some that are arguably unanswerable. Uh, just about the beginning of who, who is this, what is going on here, what is this book about? And one of the first questions is, who is the preacher? See, Ecclesiastes 1.1 says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, the word preacher maybe is a good way to translate the word, maybe it isn't. It's not necessarily preacher in the sense of a guy who stands behind a pulpit and pastors a church. It's more of like a person who gathers people to give them a message, right? So you could call it teacher, pundit, preacher, whatever you want, but in your mind, and who is this? Who is it that we see here? There's some clues in here that tell us that it is Solomon. Now, I've said over and over, this book is about the messiness of life, and I'll tell you, out of 
all the books that I've studied in depth in the Bible, this may be the messiest to study. There is a lot of debate and a lot of discussion over who the author really is, what this word koaleth in the Hebrew means. We're going to get to another word in Hebrew that's, that's maybe the most difficult word I've found to translate in the Bible um, that is key to this whole book. And how you translate that word depends how you see what this book is telling you. Um, I'm convinced that this is Solomon. When it says preacher, it means gatherer of people, assembler of people for, to give a word. And so I'm convinced it's Solomon. I want us to look at it through the eyes of Solomon because Solomon has a particular life experience that's unique that gives him authority to speak here. This is him late in life um, kind of imparting some wisdom to us. So why this book? Well, this book is in what's called the area of wisdom literature, I believe. And so in that, you've got Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, some of Psalms, depending on how you break up your genres. But it's a book of wisdom. So, but I think we have to look at it almost in contrast to Proverbs. See, Proverbs is, I, I, I intentionally, and most days I do, uh, try to read a chapter of Proverbs every day. Um, and so whatever day it is, that's the, the chapter of Proverbs. Whatever day of the month it is, that's the day of the chapter of Proverbs I'll read. Now, I would recommend doing that. It won't take you very long. It, it keeps you in the habit of staying in the Word, even whenever you don't feel like it. And it's kind of a, a primer for me to get me going in the Word in the morning sometimes. And There's some great things in the Proverbs about wisdom, about ways to do things. But Proverbs and Ecclesiastes don't exactly sit the same. They don't exactly read the same. There's a long quote. So stay with me. Uh, a guy named Zach Eswine wrote probably my favorite commentary on Ecclesiastes, and he says, If Proverbs is like math, mostly dealing in equations in which one thing adds up to equal another, then Ecclesiastes is like music, all mood with melody and tone. If, if Proverbs is like meteorology, this is my favorite analogy he gives, if Proverbs is like meteorology, giving us indicators so as to predict certain outcomes, then Ecclesiastes is like the actual weather. Fickle and unpredictable in its ability to rant with storms or breathe easy with a mid-morning breeze. If Proverbs is a good man plus God's love and wisdom equals a good life, in Ecclesiastes, a good man plus God's love still dies like the beast or the fool. In Proverbs, wisdom gives us eyes to recognize the storm clouds and and what to do in response. In Ecclesiastes, death is a piece of tornado from which no proverbial basement can shelter us. Now, basically, if Proverbs is the rules of how things go, Ecclesiastes is the exceptions to those rules. So we would misread Proverbs if we always read Proverbs as promises, right? See, Proverbs tells us that if you train up a child in the way of the Lord, then he will not depart from it. And we hold to that, and we train up our child just knowing that he's promised that our our children will never depart. But Ecclesiastes is the reality that they then do depart sometimes. No matter how well we've trained them, Ecclesiastes is the reality that you did everything you were supposed to do. You said everything you were supposed to say. You always drug them to church. You always made them go. You always did those things. You always had the good conversations. And yet, they did depart. See, Proverbs isn't promises. It's guidelines. It's rules. It's the way things should go. And Ecclesiastes is when things 
don't go the way we want them to go. So there's a word that it uses to talk about this. The word is havel. Now, you don't have to memorize that. But I want to give that to you because I can't accurately give you a single English word that replaces it. Um, In most translations, it'll say vanity. Now, historically, the reason of that is there's a guy named Jerome that when he wrote it in Latin, he wrote vanitas. And so everybody kind of just jumped on board after that. But vanity is probably not the best word to use here for Havel. And so we're going to take a few minutes. I'm going to try to explain some things. This may sound, I'm going to try not to be too technical. I really want to more than be technical, paint some pictures for you. Because I want you, this is, a, this is important. As we go through Ecclesiastes, this word will come up 38 times. This is a central word to this book. And we've got to understand as best we can what Solomon is trying to tell us when he uses this word vanity. Havel. So some of the suggested translations are vanity or futility, meaninglessness, enigmatic, absurd, a vapor, or impossible to grasp. So I want to paint a few pictures for you. Um, if you follow me on Facebook, you saw that yesterday Maggie got the game ball. This is a great looking picture, right? And she's holding it, and she's got this sassy little grin. I love when Maggie wins awards. She doesn't have this like, I'm so excited grin. She's got this like, yeah, I know. I know. But here's the thing about game balls. And I had to have a conversation with my son recently about this. Let's, let's be honest. These days, everybody gets a game ball, right? I mean, we had some friends that were there at the game yesterday, and they even were like, so Maggie got the game ball. Okay. Because you have to understand, if you come watch a game that Maggie's in, we, it, this is four- to six-year-olds, and I've decided that, that coaching four- to six-year-old baseball is very similar to pastoring. There's a lot of reminding people the same things over and over and over and over and over again. Hey, put your glove on your hand, not your head. Hey, put your glove on your hand, not your head, over and over and over again. And Maggie, I'll be honest, it's my daughter, so I can say this. She's the worst on the team at this. I mean, it's a a full-time job to corral Maggie into what she's supposed to be doing. Many times during the game, she's going to ask me to hold her, and I'm going to constantly say, I am not your daddy right now. I am your coach, and I need you to watch the ball so that you don't get hit in the head with it when it comes flying your way. Right? Because we're not just talking about trying to win a game. We're talking about, like, line drives may get hit by that one or two athletic kids that are way too big to be in the four- or six-year-old league, and they're going to hit that line drive, and then the kid's just not going to be paying attention. It's going to clock them right in the face. So you, you've got to hammer them. You've got to hammer them. Eye on the ball. Eye on the ball. Eye on the ball. But see, a couple of weeks ago, Tripp, who, out of all my children, this is the, this is the most competitive kid, right? This is the, I mean, he takes it serious. He comes to me. He's just a little teary-eyed. And I'm like, buddy, what's going on? He goes, Dad, I, I haven't gotten a game ball. And last year I got the game ball, last, the last game of the year. That means I'm the worst player on the team. And I said, we're going to talk about this when we get home. So we get home, and I send everybody else inside. And me and Tripp sit outside, and I said, now, son, first I'm going to tell you a rule that you need to know. To quote a great movie that we'll show you later in life. There's no crying in baseball, right? You, you, can't, you can't cry in baseball. Son, there are some things that are okay to cry about, and this isn't one of them. I said, now, that aside, I need you to understand something. At the end of this year, who's going to get a trophy? Well, everybody, Dad. 
See, that's what's wrong, son. Everybody shouldn't get a trophy. Maybe you disagree with me on this one. You have the right to be wrong. I don't think everybody should get a trophy. You know why? Because I asked him, I said, who's the best kid on the team? And quickly, immediately, he named one of those kids that's way too athletic to be in the seven- to nine-year-old league. He looks like he's 15 years old, hits a home run every time he gets up to bat. He plays first base because he's a foot and a half taller than everyone. So immediately, Tripp said, well, that kid, right. Now, think in your mind, who's the worst kid on the team? And it's not you, Tripp, right? Think, there's a kid that, like, strikes out every at-bat. And every ball goes in between their legs, and they're usually just picking flowers, right? And he said, yeah. I said, okay. Those two kids are going to get the same trophy, aren't they? Yeah. So does the trophy really mean anything? It doesn't really mean anything. I said, to quote another movie, Incredibles, if everybody's special, nobody's special. I said, so, what does the game ball really mean, right? So we had a great discussion on that, but here's what I'm trying to get to with that. For that one kid that's a foot and a half taller than everybody else, that hits a home run every at-bat, that plays first base because he has a a reach that's bigger than most of the kids are tall, he shouldn't get the same trophy. It's Havel. It's, It's vanity. It's absurd. It's ridiculous that he would get the same exact trophy as every other kid on the team, right? And see, that's fun to laugh at, but there are some serious havels in our lives. Today, after this, I will go do a graveside service for a five-month-old baby with Down syndrome and holes in his heart. And his mom had broken parole and was in jail when it happened. I don't know what to say. I don't have any answers for them. When I talked with them yesterday, I said, there's a story in the book of Acts where Peter and John are walking and this lame beggar asks him for money. And Peter says, I don't have any money, but I'll give you what I do have. And I said, listen, you're coming to me for answers to questions. I'm going to tell you, I don't have any answers. But I'll give you what I do have. And I know that in a situation like that, the only place we can turn is the hope of the gospel. And that's it. And I can't say to them, hey, God had a plan. He did. They don't want to hear that right now. They have no idea how to process this. It's not even my child. I never met him. I don't even know these people. I have no idea how to process this. Havel, absurdity, impossible to grasp, futility. It's... Havel is a young girl who's always dreamt of being a mother. And then finally she gets married and she can't have kids or she has a miscarriage. Havel is working your tail off, getting the right education and the right experience and going for that promotion and they hire their nephew instead. Havel is training up your child in the way of the Lord and just hopes that they would never depart. But right now, you don't know where they are or what they're doing. And the last place on earth they want to be is here. And the last place they want to hear is God has a plan. That's Havel. Absurdity. Futility. 
whatever it is in your mind that you just can't make sense of it, right? That's Havel. So when you read vanity in here or you read futility in here, have that picture in your mind. There are sometimes things you just can't answer. The New Revised Standard Version translates it translates as vanity. The new the new international the today's new international version as meaninglessness, which is probably my least favorite translation of it. The Anchor Bible as vapor. Uh, the JPS Bible is futility, or seven other words, depending on the context. Other scholars suggest several nuances, temporal ephemerality and existential, futility, absurdity, mainly futility, but sometimes brevity, senselessness, or absurd, or the notion that life is enigmatic and mysterious, that there are many unanswered and unanswerable questions. Now, that was a lot, and that was intended to be a lot. I wasn't intended for you to grasp that entire quote and process it. I was intending for you to be overwhelmed by it and understand that this is not an easy word to understand and process in the English because that's kind of the point, right? It's kind of the point of this book. Some things just aren't easy to understand. I don't know why some things happen to you. I don't know why some things happen to me. I got a few phone calls this week that I just thought, I have no idea how to answer this, how to respond to this, what to do with this. I'm going to work mainly off of the word enigmatic or impossible to grasp or absurd. Those are kind of my top three. I can give you my top three, so you can go off of those. Um, But you need to get that picture in your mind as we go through Ecclesiastes. I would recommend to fully grasp this. It needs to be read in its entirety in one sitting. Um, And so I would recommend sometime this week, you just carve out, it won't take you as long as you think, carve out a little time, read it from beginning to end. Um, I'm going to cheat here in a few minutes, and I'm going to skip to the end and kind of give you the good news. But know that Solomon doesn't give you that till the end. Now, he didn't intend you necessarily to take nine weeks, which is why I'm going to cheat and take you to the end in a minute. Um, J.I. Packer says, the real basis of wisdom is frank a frank acknowledgement that this world's course is enigmatic that enigmatic means you just can't get it right another havel that much of what happens is quite inexplicable to us and that most occurrences under the sun which is another phrase we'll get to in a minute bear no outward sign of rational moral god ordering them at all the god who rules it hides himself rarely does this world look as if a uh, beneficent providence uh, we're running it. Rarely does it appear that there is a rational power behind it all. It's, it's cute and it's fun to talk about how God always has a plan. And, and when we watch these movies sometimes, it just plays out perfectly, doesn't it? This is why, I'll be honest, maybe I'll step on toes here, I don't know. The, the movie Facing the Giants has always dro- drove me nuts. And here's why. Now it's a, look, I, you know, I, I'm a grown man and I cried a little bit when I watched it. It's a little bit emotional. But here's the problem with facing the giants. When the guy turned his life over to the Lord, all of a sudden his infertility was gone. He got a raise. He got a brand new truck. And his horrible football team won the state championship. Is that reality? Is that how this normally plays out? That's not how reality plays out. I always, when I'm leading someone to Christ, I always say, hey, just so you know, it doesn't get easier from here. 
It's not like things are just going to magically start falling in place for you. But you're not alone anymore. Skipping to the end, we got one true shepherd. So there are some major themes I want us to hit here. One of the major themes is this idea of futility, havel, enigmatic, absurd, the unanswered questions of life, um, the monotony of life as well. Um, But also, not just the futility, but this seeking after fulfillment, this um, striving after the wind is what it says, uh, is, is our second big theme I want us to look at. I'm skipping down to verse 14 here. He says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. So if Havel is our first major theme, then our second two are in this verse, and the first one is under the sun. So what does he mean when he says under the sun? See, this book doesn't talk about God a whole lot. It's sprinkled in a little bit here and there, this idea of fear God, but it doesn't hammer really the idea of God until the last chapter. Um, and so you've got to think life stage here for a second. So I think Solomon wrote most of the Proverbs early in life, and then he wrote this book late in life. Um, when it was almost done. And so Proverbs, while it's this idealistic thing with all these great principles and ideas, it's it's talking with a friend this week, and it says, it's kind of like if, and and I love him, but he doesn't have any children, or let's let's talk Caleb, he's about to have a kid, right? So Kelly's pregnant, if you didn't know that, that's awesome. Uh, And so if Caleb came up here and was like, Pastor, I really want to preach a sermon on uh, the seven irrefutable laws of biblical parenting, I don't think I would let him preach that. Because he has no idea what he's talking about, right? Right? So, those of you that don't have kids, we know what you're doing, right? When you see us with our children and the madness that's going on. We know. We know that you're judging us. We know that you're going, I would never parent like that. You know what we're thinking? That's cute. Just keep thinking that. Just keep thinking that. Just keep thinking that you'll never do that. As a matter of fact, write down your list, if you would. Take a journal and write down your list of all the things you would never, ever do if you were a parent. And then about six years after you've been in this thing, let's, let's talk and see how it actually goes, right? And so I think Solomon writes Proverbs early, and it's, and it's all good stuff. It's all amazing stuff, but Ecclesiastes is that this is his final chapter. And he's going, man, I, whatever you're trying to do, I've done it. Whatever you're trying to attain, I attained it. Whatever you thought was coming up next, whatever carrot is the end of your stick, that you thought if you could just grab that, I grabbed it. And it's all absurd. Enigmatic, futile. So, he talks about this in the context of it being under the sun. Now, this is key. You've got to understand this. So, while he doesn't mention God in great depth until the end, he is kind of mentioning by not mentioning. Because every time he says under the sun, he's saying, if it stopped there, right? 
If there were no heavens, if there were no great God of the universe holding everything in his hands, but if just what we could see, if that's all there is, if all we can see is everything that matters, then it doesn't matter. Everything under the sun, if, if reality ends there, and it doesn't go beyond to a great being that's in control of the universe and loves us deeply, that's what he means when he says under the sun. So every time he says under the sun, he's saying, if there is nothing past the sun. And then he says, all is Havel and striving after the wind. Now, this is another one that's interesting to translate. I like the translation of trying to shepherd the wind. And, and this is a good translation of it. There are different ways you can see it. Chasing the wind, striving after the wind, trying to pursue the wind. There's a way it can be said where it's shepherding the wind. Like you're trying to control, to grasp, contain, manipulate, and use the wind. Now, could you do that? Now, you can do it with a kite to some degree, but can you harness it? Now, I did find online. You can, if you can translate in French on the website you can buy a can of French air for seven and a half dollars. But I'll tell you this, even if it smells good when it comes out, it's not wind. It's just air. If you're you're climbing a mountain, then when you get towards the top, they'll sell you things of oxygen, right? And then when you're at the ground, that seems absurd, that seems dumb to pay $10 for a thing of oxygen. But when you get where oxygen isn't much, it sounds like a good idea. But again, it's still not wind. You can't harness the wind. As a matter of fact, if you do use a sailboat or a kite, all you can do is go where the wind tells you to go. You can't harness it. You can't hold it and shepherd it. And to go after fulfillment in this world under the sun, if there's nothing past, you won't find it. The carrot will remain at the end of the stick. There are a lot of great things under the sun, but fulfillment isn't one of them. And when I say fulfillment, I mean that that final lasting fulfillment. See, things can be fun for a while, but it all ends, doesn't it? That's the monotony of this whole thing. It's like the movie Groundhog Day. It's just the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. I used to cut grass and I loved cutting grass for a living. Because you go and there's this field and it's full of hay grass and weeds and all this stuff. And it's just tall and it's ugly. And you go put a few hours in or whatever, depending on how big the field is, and then you get done and you look at it and you go, look at what I've done. I have accomplished something. See, we don't get to do that very often as pastors. We don't get to go, look what I've done. And so when you cut grass or do something like that, I I get to see that. But you know what happens? It grows back, doesn't it? And you got to do it again next week, don't you? There is no ultimate lasting fulfillment under the sun there is a brokenness that we must realize we've got to realize how powerless we are we can't shepherd the wind Zach Aswan again says in the spirit's hands Ecclesiastes confronts us with our own ills in order that by knowing ourselves as we are, we might come to know God as He is. See, Ecclesiastes, rather than point to the greatness of God, it points to the futility of our efforts. 
which is why we've got to skip ahead. So we're going to cheat. We're going to skip ahead to chapter 12. I'm not going to go deep into chapter 12 because that day's coming. We're going to have a whole sermon on chapter 12. But I just, I got to get, I can't leave you here. I can't leave you that all the world is absurd and everything's horrible and horrible bad things happen all the time. We got, we got to go somewhere with that. We can't shepherd the wind, but there is one true shepherd. See, Ecclesiastes 12:11 says, The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings, and they are given by one shepherd. As you dive deeper into chapter 12, it talks about fearing God. There is one true shepherd. We cannot shepherd the wind. We cannot attain fulfillment on our own. We can't find it. You will not find fulfillment under the sun. Not that lasts. Not that sustainable. You don't believe me? We don't even have to look at Solomon, right? Look at pop culture. Look at people who are famous. Look at people who have attained what they wanted to attain. And you watch them spiral before you, don't you? And they've got all the things that you want. And Solomon has it much more. And he says there's one true shepherd. John 10, 10 and 11 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We have two paths here. We can follow the shepherd, or we can be a victim of the enemy. That's our choices. We can either follow the one true shepherd, and we can recognize the powerlessness that we have and the weakness that we have and how little ability we have to actually harness the wind or do anything about anything. And we can recognize that and either fall victim to the enemy or follow the true shepherd and truly find a fulfilled life. We can find fulfillment in Christ John 16, says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. When we realize how weak we are and how dependent on God we are, we put ourselves in the best position possible. I was talking with my friend that grabbed screw tape letters this morning. I said, man, it's a fun read. One of the things that stuck out to me when I read Screw Tape Letters that's just stuck with me forever, and it's a story about a demon that's mentoring his nephew demon and telling him how to do this stuff. And, um, and one of the things he tells this demon is if you really want to mess people up, then what you've got to do is get them to just be good people. Get them to just go to church, and, but not really dive in. He's saying that's the most effective way to derail people from God's will. So some of you wonder why I almost every Sunday say something about if you're here just to sit in the pew, you need to figure something out. That's why. The most effective thing he'd do for you is get you in this pew every Sunday and it'd do nothing to you. You leave here the same that you came every Sunday and you think everything's okay. 
Because when we realize our weakness, when we realize how much we need God, when we realize the depths of our depravity, just how bad we are, and we realize just how much we need His grace, that nobody, especially me, has any right to say anything of boasting about themselves. But we come to the mercy of God, but because He is a merciful God, this is a good place to be. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul said, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. And for when I am, for when I am weak, then I am strong. If Solomon has reached the highest highs that could ever be reached, Paul has reached some of the lowest lows that could ever be reached, yet they both have the same message for us. They both have the same message. The true fulfillment only comes from the one true shepherd. So why is it that when I'm counseling a family that doesn't know the Lord and just lost their five-month-old baby, do I point him to the gospel? Well, Pastor, it seems like you're trying to take advantage of the situation. No. I just literally don't know what else to say. When Havel happens, there's nothing else to say. Fear God. Follow the one true shepherd. For there you will find fulfillment. Because wherever else you're trying to find it, if you'll read Ecclesiastes, Solomon's been there and he's, and he's here crying out to you in his old age, it didn't work. I've already been there. I've been to the end of that road. Wherever it is you're trying to go, I've been to the end of that road. Wherever it is you're thinking that once this happens, then I'll be at peace. He's been there. He's accomplished that. He's tasted that. He's seen that on a level that you won't be able to attain. And at the end, he has the same advice as Paul. In your weakness, become fully dependent upon the one true shepherd. Fear God and follow him. Let's pray. Lord, as we look to your word, as we see your truth proclaimed here in the Old Testament. Lord, as we each wrestle with our own havel, our own situation that's going on, our own grittiness, our own, maybe it's private sin, that we just are so scared to get out there in the public. Maybe we've been standoffish from you for years, Lord, because of something that happened to us at church or something that some preacher said or something that some deacon did or something that somebody religious did to us. Lord, I've heard so many of those stories. Or maybe maybe we lost a child. Maybe somebody here has experienced loss to a level where they, they don't know if they want to turn to you.
Lord, help us remember that it is sin that broke this world and that you are reconciling the world to yourself through the cross, through your people proclaiming the cross. That no matter how gritty it is, you can redeem. You can fulfill. The true fulfillment is only found in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.